When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. Real quick before I get to the the meat of today's episode, I want to give you guys a quick reminder for all of you in the YouTube world. I, I'm sure you've realized by now that, that my content more or less can best be described as a podcast, not as a YouTube channel or videos or anything like that, because it's mostly just audio. And um, this may as come as, as more of a surprise to you. Uh, my my podcast is actually on podcast platforms. So if you want to stick around on YouTube, that's fine. That's actually where the bulk of my audience is. That's where my my video slash podcast have the most uh, visibility. But I did want to make you guys aware that I'd be more than happy to have you guys check me out over on many different podcast platforms, most major podcast platforms as well. Uh, Spotify, Apple, uh, iTunes podcast, uh, Google podcasts, and Pocket Casts and Radio Public and a whole bunch of other ones that I, I can't remember off the top of my head. So just a quick reminder, let's get into today's topic, which is, well, we'll start off by this. We can sort of chalk up today as, as a bit of a, a loss, at least over the short term, not only for precious metals and, and, and just the fact that their, their rally that began yesterday has been halted for the time being, but also because of uh, the Fed and, and their actions, uh, which was described by... Uh, zero hedge as, as a gargantuan um, injection of liquidity into the markets. Gargantuan, five hundred billion dollars total. That's that's a total amount that the Fed will be providing in terms of support for these markets, in addition to their their balance sheet that they already have, as well as the the relatively low interest rates that they uh, have right now in place. Five hundred billion dollars to support the markets as we get towards the end of. 2020. So what I'm talking or 2019. What am I talking about here? Well, this is more of the same, really. Going back to I think September is when it's, this all began. Uh, this this liquidity injection that the Fed has has done through the repo markets. Repo markets, as a quick reminder, are basically short-term lending markets. And it's when a financial institutions need some amount of cash or liquidity on hand for various reasons. And so in, in a normal repo market, what they do is is they essentially sell um, a certain amount of assets, usually very liquid assets, such as treasury bonds and bills and whatnot, uh, sometimes other ones like mortgage-backed securities or other uh, um, forms of debt, and then they buy them back the very next day. And sometimes these repo markets can be longer than just an overnight repo um, but but basically, there's a rate associated with that. So let's say two percent or three percent. Obviously, not a two percent overnight, but a two percent on an annualized rate. So far less than that. But but they buy it back the next day. That's basically how a repo market works. And as I said, they they don't have to be overnight. They can be two weeks. They can be whatever. Okay. Well, what's going on right now, or what's been going on since September, is that for whatever reason, the the repo market, there, there's just not enough people willing to to essentially lend that money, to, to buy those assets and lend cash on an overnight basis or a two-week basis or any of that. 
And so since September, the Fed has been stepping in, in in larger and larger amounts to try and fix this problem. Because otherwise what happens is these short-term lending markets basically freeze up. Financial institutions, or, or some have theorized one financial institution in particular that is especially illiquid and hard for, for cash right now, simply cannot function without being able to to borrow this cash on an overnight basis through the repo markets. And so what happened beginning back in September was that the rate uh, that the that these lenders, that these people that are buying these assets and then selling them back the next day are charging was was far higher than than what the Fed would have liked. Essentially the short term lending markets were were freezing up. Much like let's say the you know a good analog would be like the uh the credit markets in, in the corporate sector, right? If we're going to say corporate debt is freezing up, uh, that very well may take the, the shape of people just not willing to lend to corporations. Or if they're going to lend, it's going to get a very high rate. Same thing was happening. So what's going on here is that the Fed is stepping in to, to, be, that, to be that lender. And, and what they're doing through these repo market operations is they're basically printing the money in this case, uh, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars. There's buying these assets um, and then selling them back the next day. And then that money is basically destroyed. But they do the, sa- the very same thing the next day, right? This has been going on for months now, the Fed support for this overnight repo operations. And they've added other ones in there as well, including ones that are two weeks long, uh, two week long um, term repos and, and ones uh, even longer than that. And that brings us to today's announcement by the Federal Reserve. Uh, basically, their their plan as they head into to the end of the year, which is when many people have predicted is going to be when liquidity is is thinnest, and and something the Fed has been very aware of for for a while now. And it's it's a big deal what they're offering right now. So I'll remind you, in in addition to what they're already doing on an overnight basis, as well as some of the term repos that they're they're already doing right now. Um, as of right now, they are are adding to that uh, multiple repo uh, term repos surrounding at the end of the year. They have been for a while, multiple week ones. Uh, in addition to that. For the last day of the year, they have a repo operation of, of $150 billion. Um, on Monday, they have a, uh, uh, that's, that's the 30th. So, so on 31st, they have $150 billion overnight repo uh, injection. Uh, on the 30th, they have a one-day forward settlement repo of, of at least $75 billion. These are all at least, at least, at least whatever amount. But basically, in addition to that, they're also doing their QE which is their $60 billion a month of, of treasury bill purchases that they've been doing for a little while now as well. And, and when you add it all together, right, this is this is far larger amount of support for the markets than, than most people expected at this point, most mainstream analysts. Uh, in fact, you know, there, there are people talking about a repo apocalypse, uh, um, um, repo rates soaring again uh, as we get closer to year end. And they're predicting, you know, how much support is the Fed going to to offer? Is it going to be 50 extra billion dollars, 75? And in the, Fed, the Fed has basically crushed those expectations in the amount of about $500 billion total in all in, in their support for, for the short-term funding markets. And this is huge. First of all, I mean, let's think of this from a 
from a moral standpoint. What this ultimately amounts to is a bailing out of financial institutions that are hard up for cash, that all else, I think, should be allowed to fail. Right? As I said, I think that there's one, at least one financial institution out there that is um, in a bad position in terms of, of liquidity. Um, and yet the Fed is essentially bailing them out. I mean, how nice would it be? I'm, I'm sure many of you guys in your past have had that, and maybe you're in it right now, have, have been in that point in your life where it's uh, paycheck to paycheck, right? Uh, or even just day to day, trying to get funds to, to pay for whatever. Maybe you have to pay, you know, minimum payment on such and such thing, or maybe it's you have to pay uh, your mortgage bill or, or your car payment or, or whatever. And, uh, and if you don't get that money that day, even if you you'll have it the next day, all of a sudden you have you have like a fee to pay on top of that or something. I mean, how nice would it be to have that at such a low rate? I mean, yes, there's there's payday low lending and whatnot. But here for the Fed, we're talking about like a 2% rate, right? The, the going rate in the market, the repo markets, or at least what they'd like to say is the going rate. Um, this, is, this is a bailout of the financial system, albeit not of the traditional sense where they're giving them money. Uh, they're, they're basically lending money to them at an artificially low rate to try and keep things moving smoothly. And, and you know, what's funny about this is you know, as a whole, markets, I, I think, are... are still focused on on the macro uh are we heading for recession or not they're still focused on the trade deal which i'll talk about here in a minute very few people are are focused on just how large these operations are just how exceptionally large they are and just how much support the fed is offering for the markets right now And, and you have to ask yourself if they were not supporting the markets what would have happened by now or what would be happening as we head into year end and if your conclusion is that it would be bad, that we'd be on the brink of a financial crisis, a financial collapse, then I don't see how them saving the day, at least over the short term, is, is somehow bullish. If anything, that should be bearish. That it should be something. There's something seriously wrong with today's short term, and, and ultimately, I think the entire uh, um, financial system, not just the short term funding markets. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about today, though, and by the way, this is all bullish for precious metals. Even if today was a bit of a loss, they, they gave back some of their gains from yesterday, especially gold. Silver, not so much, actually. Silver's doing all right around $17 an ounce. This is all bullish. I mean, this is... the the uh, th- There's two things that I'm really focused on in, in relation to this. Is First of all, is it going to be successful? And, and is the Fed going to have to do more heading into year and then they are even expecting right now to to keep these markets flowing smoothly and the other question is uh what about when when january 2nd comes around and the markets open up again and uh and we head into january halfway through january all the way through january into february uh what if the fed is still doing justice we know they'll still be doing their their qe uh, $60 billion a month, at least through the end of, of the first quarter of 2020. That's their plan. But what about these repo operations? What if this becomes a permanent? I mean, what if the Fed right now is basically looking to become the repo market going forward? We'll see. And and that's really what I'm watching here. Now, the other thing, as I said, I want to talk about is uh, this talk about the U.S.-China trade deal. And, and I know a couple times this week, at least in two different of my podcasts, not videos, guys, podcasts, um, remember, don't don't forget to check them out if, if you like podcasts more than just YouTube. It works really great, honestly, for, for 
If you're like going for a jog, if you're working out, you can download it beforehand. You can uh, um, do it while you're driving and whatnot. Uh, anyways, back to the to this. Uh, as I mentioned, in, at least twice this week, um, I'm uh, I'm very pessimistic on a trade deal between the U.S. and China being worked out. And well, it would appear here on Friday, sorry Thursday afternoon, that I'm incorrect that one is being worked out right now. Now, I'm not going to throw in the towel on this at all because we've been here how many times over the past 18 months. But as of right now, Trump is basically saying um, he's willing to sign on to phase one of the trade deal. He's willing to uh, put on hold uh, the the tariffs that, that were going to be put in place Oh, uh, Sunday, actually. Today's Thursday. On Sunday, that's when uh, something like $160 billion worth of, of imports we're going to be tariffed by by our administration by the U.S. Uh, at a rate of I think fifteen percent. Okay, and it's on it's on hold for now, and and they're moving t- towards phase one now. Two things I one thing I want to remind you guys of first of all something I've been saying for a long time now is that if we were to move into a recession at the end of twenty nineteen or in twenty twenty, it's not going to be because of the trade war. Additionally, though. If somehow a trade deal does get worked out, I don't think that it somehow moves us off of, it takes us off of, of recession risk, right? Or recession watch, like a suicide watch, right? Uh, we're, we're not all of a sudden or off of, of that recession watch. I think there's a lot of other reasons. And, and besides that, I mean, this, this trade deal, yes, tariffs are, are not good for the economy, Generally, a trade war is not good for our economy or for China's economy. But just because things get worked out and in phase one, assuming they actually are worked out, it doesn't mean that it's a win for the United States. It just means that it's a, a deal, right? Um, but but we know that a deal can go both ways. And, and just because uh, the narrative is or somebody says that, that the deal they worked out is, is the best possible deal for the United States doesn't mean that it actually is or that it'll work out that way. I mean, you guys remember plenty of trade deals from the past. I mean, feel free. Let me know in the comments uh, what what your thoughts are on trade deals like um, NAFTA, for example, or or, or what was the other one that that Obama had negotiated in, you know, 2015, 2016. I forget if it was actually went through, but it was another trade deal largely revolving around uh, uh, moving stuff out of China and, and, and into other Pacific countries and whatnot. I forget the name of it. It's off the top of my head. But there's been plenty of stories of, of deals in which they... I mean, Trump for, for years and years and years has been talking about how the U.S. has gotten screwed uh, with deals time and time again. And and I get it. I mean, he's the one railing against that. But that doesn't automatically mean that this deal isn't... A, it doesn't mean that it's actually a, a good deal for the U.S. But like I said before, I'm still not throwing the towel in on this. Right, things can change, and and uh, let's say tariffs are put on hold for now, heading into next week. Let's say hypothetically that's where we're at. Doesn't mean that trade deal phase one is going to be signed off on. It it'd be um, it surprised me in fact if it was by then, uh, because I, I mean we've been here so many times before, and and yes the markets to some extent are buying it once again. The media is buying it or whatever, uh, but but let's not get fooled again by this uh, by this job owning of the markets, by this constant back and forth from Trump, Navarro, Kudlow, whoever else, Mulvaney, and then um, various Chinese pundits and, and media companies and whatnot. Um, let's, uh, 
first of all, let's let's take this day by day. I mean, if I was a trader, right, I would take this day by day. I, I wouldn't trade on. I I'd trade on the news of it actually happening. And if it was actually, in my opinion, a, a deal that's good for the United States. I mean, yeah, if, if a deal gets worked out, people are going to view that as bullish. Now, it very well could be a, a buy the rumor, sell the news type of deal because markets have been up, gosh, 10, 20, 30%. You know, it seems like just on, on rumors of a trade deal for, for months and months now, uh, maybe 30% is exaggerating it, but I'm, I'm sure there's individual stocks that are. And uh, and here we are heading into uh, you know th this weekend. Even if things do get worked out, it doesn't mean that ultimately the stocks sh should be valued as high as they actually are. And again, it doesn't mean that it it it, it wipes out the possibility of a recession. Now, the final thing I wanted to talk about, just just for kicks, is you know I I read these articles fairly often on the internet. Um, you know, I, I frequent Zero Hedge, but there's plenty of other ones, Bloomberg and CNBC, and then there's some of the other ones that, that also repost a lot of stuff, including Business Insider and Barron's and Forbes and Market Watch. That's the one that I'm focusing on today, and this was one that was suggested by me, titled Own Stocks, Think the Fed, and Don't Expect the Next U.S. Recession to Start Anytime Soon, says BCA Research. Now, BCA Research is a, a uh, financial you know, investment firm that's been around for a long time now, actually dating back to 1949. Um, founded by a, a guy, I, I just do, I'm just letting you guys know because I actually wanted to do a bit of research on it. Founded by a guy by the name of A. Hamilton Bolton. Um, I don't know if his first name was Alexander or whatnot, but, but honestly, I looked it up because I was like, is this guy related to like John Bolton or something? Maybe, maybe not. But regardless, he was a, a big Elliott Wave uh, um, proponent until the company was actually taken over in like the 60s and then again after the turn of the millennia. And anyways, what they're saying here, that's that's not, not super important. What's important is what they're saying here is basically that from their opinion, we'll put, we'll put it this way in a quote, um, written by their their chief U.S. investment strategist, Doug Pita. Quote, tight monetary policy is a necessary, albeit not sufficient, condition for a recession, and we consider the Fed's current monetary policy settings to be easy, especially after this year's three rate cuts. I, I would agree so far. Continuing, a recession can't begin until the Fed reverses those three cuts and prioritization of the equilibrium rate tax on at least three additional hikes. So basically what he's saying here is that for a recession to occur, the Fed funds rate would have to be around three to three and a quarter percentage point, which is something I vehemently disagree with. Uh, first of all, there's a lot of other reasons for a recession. Um, and I won't fully agree with his first statement that that tight monetary policy is necessary for a recession. Um, but, but what I would argue right now is that on one side of things, today's monetary policy is relatively easy. Compared to where it was leading up to the dot-com bubble popping, the Great Recession. I mean, recession. I mean, interest rates in the United States are still historically low. One and a half to one and three quarters percentage points for the Fed funds rate. Still very low. Not to mention um, all this QE and, and, and repo market business that I've been talking about. And the fact that the Fed still has a huge balance sheet, which is a huge support for the bond market. Because, you know, as those bonds on their balance sheet mature, they roll them over and buy more bonds. So the Fed is offering plenty of support for the markets. This is relatively easy monetary policy. However, the other side of this is that, relatively speaking, today's U.S. economy 
at the corporate level, at the consumer level, and of course at the government level, is dealing with more debt than ever. And that's why these interest rates matter. I mean, interest rates are essentially a cost of money. They're, they're a cost of lending. And, and if you're lending more, I, I always relate it this way. You know, if you're thinking of like, let's say you're a new home buyer, you're just a home buyer, okay? A lot of home buyers don't decide which house to buy based on the, the price. 200,000, 300,000, whatever. No, what they're buying it ultimately on is what is the, the mortgage payment because that's ultimately what, what matters for them, right? And so if the mortgage payment is such and such a month, that's going to fit their budget. But if it's $100 more or $200 more, which would be a much more expensive house, then that's out of their budget range. And it's more so the mortgage payment per month versus the actual price of the house that matters to them. Now, a big determinant of that with a 15 or 30-year mortgage or whatever you're doing is the interest rate because that plays into uh, what type of a, a payment, you know, when you calculate it all together, what payment you need to make to ultimately pay that mortgage off in the set time limit. And so if you have a higher rate, it's more expensive to service that debt, right? Think of if you're a homeowner, if, if you have a $200,000 house at a specific, let's say, at a, a, well, just for kicks, we'll say 5% um, interest rate. Okay, you can swing that at your current budget. But what happens if it's a three hundred dollar house, three hundred thousand or three hundred thousand dollar mortgage or four hundred thousand? All of a sudden, the cost to service that debt has increased. And so, relatively speaking, monetary policy is incredibly easy right now. However, we have so much more debt to deal with now, which means servicing that debt is more expensive. And you have plenty of other problems uh, on top of that, including uh, demographics um, being in a very uh, a poor position going forward, an aging population, huge liabilities that are stacking up in the form of pensions and, 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 and Medicare and Medicaid and, and Social Security, etc., right? Um, you, you have uh, ballooning federal debt. You have all these problems that are pointing to the fact that, no, this isn't we don't need rates at 3% for and so this isn't me picking on on BCA research or anything but but I think it's it's important to remember that yes monetary policy is relatively easy right now it should be much more harder much uh, more more uh, hawkish however we've also never been in this position before as a country as as a as a world in terms of global debt levels which have largely been enabled by easy monetary policy. Nobody goes out and buys a $500,000 house when they're only making 50 grand a year unless the interest rates are low enough and, and the lenders are willing to lend to them. And that's ultimately enabled by the Fed and, and by the U.S. government being willing to, to uh, um, back up those, those financial institutions that are making those lendings as they've done in the past through, through bailouts. So anyways... Quick reminder, once again, if you like today's podcast, check me out in the podcast world. This works a lot better in the podcast world, except that you can't leave comments. But but instead, you can just leave me a review and, and you can shoot me an email. So check me out in the podcast world if you haven't already. Uh, and there's a ton of other great YouTube channels that are already out there in the podcast world. And it's so much easier because you can download it ahead of time. You can do it while you're driving or working out or jogging or or whatever you're doing. As always, I'd like to thank you all from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.